Hello, welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? I, I feel like a soothsayer, Amy. Is that is that the right word? Uh, does that mean like see the future? Yes, absolutely it does. And why is that? All right, so about a month ago on this podcast, I sat in here in this very seat, and I told you about a new album from Chris Renzema. Uh-huh. That I was just yes. raving about. I, I said, it's the best thing I've heard this year. It's phenomenal. Yes. He's incredible. Go listen to him. You know what happened this week? You you think the Dove Award people were listening to the podcast? I think the Dove Award people are just as smart as I am. And they said, you're right, Jonathan. He is incredible. Uh-huh. It is a great album. And we're going to make him a nominee for New Artist of the Year. There you go. There you go. So, yeah. So you think, uh, you think he's going to win, huh? Well, if he doesn't, then I'm going to have to bust some heads. Who else is nominated okay, maybe not. for... I have no idea. I never yeah. heard of the other people. Sorry. Yeah, I haven't even looked at this. I haven't even... I mean, they're... they're gotten to... They're nominated. I mean, there's other nominees, yes. So... Right. Chris Renzema, who we're talking about, was nominated for a new artist of the year, along with Cochran and Company, L or Ellie, Limebear, Switch, mm-hmm. and We the Kingdom. Okay. I don't know them. I'm sorry. But Chris Rensema is awesome, and he deserves to win. Yes. Well, that does mean the Dove Award nominations are out. I am pretty excited. The 20th anniversary album of Behold the Lamb of God is up for Christmas or special event album yes. of the year. So that's exciting. That one exciting. also deserves to win. Absolutely, it deserves to win. So there, there's some good stuff. Um, Matt Boswell, Matt Papa, Keith and Kristen Getty, they're up for inspirational album of the year his mercy is more so that that one I would, could be I would really call good them good friends of the pod amy you think so yes let's do it yeah i sure. I, I mean like I, I can i can text them and they'll text me back so i think that constitutes good friends of the all pod. of all of those people which ones every at all the matt yes. boswell matt papa boswell, and the yeah. gettys i don't know papa but you know okay. papa but I, I know really. Boswell. I know Boswell. We talk soccer whenever we hang out. Yeah, Matt Papa used to used to uh, lead in chapel at Southeastern, and so I would be there a lot. But I didn't like. I didn't spend well, a lot of time. Okay. Well, you know, talking with him or anything. Boswell and the right. Gettys. Let's just put it that way. Yes, they're good friends of the pod. So congratulations the to them. Okay. I would love Chris Renzema right. to be a good friend of the pod. By the way, so just throwing that out there. Well, maybe so. Maybe after this. So let's jump into the news, Amy. Some news out of the EC, as well as several other entities here in the Southern Baptist Convention. Fall trustee meetings, they're moving online. They are everywhere. We have no... Well, I I guess one in-person that has been kind of modified. Yeah. Yes. And, And is different because even though it's happening at NAM, that's not normal for them anymore. They typically do them in a sin city where uh, board members can meet NAM, church planters, missionaries, things like that. And uh, so they're going to just have it pared down at the headquarters there in Alpharetta and then have it where people can pipe in virtually. But they're the only one that's going to have any on-site meeting. Everyone else, virtual. Yeah. So the executive committee, which was supposed to meet on September 21st and 22nd, that meeting has been canceled and replaced with an online special called meeting on the 22nd. 
Guidestone was actually supposed to meet last month, uh, back in July, at the end of July on the 27th and 28th, but they are going to meet online in late September instead. So they, they pushed it back. The Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission's annual trustee meeting was supposed to be on September 15th in person, around the 15th and 16th in person here in Nashville. That has been moved to a virtual format online on the 15th. And Lifeway, whose yes. meeting I think is supposed to be in about 10 days, the 24th and 25th of August, they have moved it to online as well. So nobody's descending upon Nashville for all these meetings that they we are not. typically see. You usually come in, spend a few days. Keith comes in because of seminary meetings. Not this year. Yeah. And even, I mean, Mary was, she was uh, representing in the gallery back there in February, but no Mary either. So it is going to be different. I would imagine, I mean, thinking about three of those being in Nashville, one of those being in Dallas, uh, those are cities that are having to be super careful. And uh, that would certainly affect the idea of even in, uh, we have different sizes of the boards, but you're talking about Number of people in a particular size of room, that's an issue there in Nashville for sure. And then also people coming from places from around the country, I think, becomes an issue yeah. because of travel restrictions yeah. to well, and from and Nashville. Yeah, so. it's, it's a lot of them are from Nashville going back to wherever they're from. Because even in the story today, Roland Slade mentions that if he were to come to Nashville for the meet and fly back, he'd have to self-quarantine for 14 days. So I know right. um, Rick Roburn, who's up in New York, same thing for him. We have, and, and that's just our board. That doesn't go, you know, that doesn't include everybody else's. So right. this COVID has really, really disrupted everything. So they're going to they're gonna move forward as much as possible. We'll have more information on that. That will be live streamed. The EC meeting will be live streamed. We'll have more information on that. Just follow the Twitter handle over there at SBCExecCom for more information. To Liberty, Amy, we go. Jerry Falwell announced last Friday that he is stepping away for a leave of absence from Liberty University. That's correct. Actually, and it, it was actually a, the official university announcement, mm -hmm. uh, just saying an indefinite leave of absence from his role. So uh, they said they that he agreed to it is effective immediately. There was a later statement that came out from the chairman of the board that uh, spoke a lot about some of the growth that has happened under his tenure, but then said with the success and burdens of leading a large and growing organization comes substantial pressure um, that the, the board of trustees and Jerry Falwell Jr. mutually agreed it would be good for him to take an indefinite leave of absence. So uh, asking for prayer from the entire community, while he is, you know, going through this period. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what, happens, you know, as it says indefinite, I can't say what happens at the end of this leave of absence because we don't really know when that end will be or what comes after that. Yes. So you mentioned the chairman. Well, that's now the, I guess, I guess he may still be the chairman, but he's not in that role right now because Jerry Prevo is serving as the acting president. So Prevo, who has served as the chairman since 2003, will move into that acting president role. And Alan McFarlane, will step into that acting chairman role from the vice chairman role. So Alan McFarland is actually, Amy, president of the SBCV. So That's just correct. north of you, yeah, Alan McFarland. Yes. Yeah. So he, he's the uh, he's a pastor in Portsmouth, Virginia, president of right. the SBCV, and has been on the board for a while. And now he moves from 
the vice chairman role to the chairman role. So, and and you brought something up that's interesting. It's just a good a good thing to clarify. You know, Liberty University is uh, has some affiliations with the SBCV in terms of partnerships, things like that. But it's not the same as what we think of a lot in our structures, where we have these obviously seminaries that are that are entities of the Southern Baptist Convention or Baptist colleges and universities that were established by state conventions. Liberty was started by Jerry Falwell Sr. And so it really has been an institution standing on its own, self-sustaining. And so the board rules are just very different and terms are, you know, it's usually a self-perpetuating board. I don't know exactly what the rules are for their board, but that's how you could have a chairman that's been there in that role since 2003, because that's just yeah. what he does. So yeah, very, very long term of service. So, yes, it is. but, but he knows the school really well and he knows what it was envisioned to be and, and things like that. So we will be watching to see what develops at Liberty University. All right, Amy, we have a legal update. Cue the music. NAM has filed an en banc request in their case with Will McCraney down in the Fifth uh, U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. And First Liberty Institute has actually joined on to the case. First of all, let's understand the request. The ruling that we had just covered a few weeks back was done by a three-judge panel. Okay, so they had reversed the dismissal decision. They were remanding to district court. An option that NAM had and, and that they have taken is to say, we want the entire panel of judges to reconsider this ruling. So what will happen is the three judge panel who are representing the fifth circuit made a ruling. They can ask the whole panel to listen to it. If the whole panel reconsiders it and sort of overrules those three judges, then that's that step. If they don't, if they say we back up with the three judges, then now it goes back to the district court. Uh, just, just like said. Yeah, so and they don't have it, to hear. It's it. just another that, step. This is just a request right. to have them hear it. So we're not even to the hearing part yet. Yeah. So they could say we don't want to reconsider it, and it gets remanded back down. That's right. Or they could say we will reconsider it, and then they, when they do, they might say no. We're going to stick with what the three judges said, and it gets remanded back down. So this is one. Just it's, it's another step. Yep. We should have a decision on this request in the next few weeks. So should be maybe a month or two. Uh, we'll find out about that. It won't be as long as what we were waiting on after they argued it back in February, I think. And we got the results, right. I believe, in July. So that was quite But again, a like you said, that's that's just a decision about whether to consider it. Yes. So if they say, yes, we will reconsider, well, then it would probably be the spring for that. Before right. that happens. So. so that's why, you know, you hear about. You hear about court cases taking a long time. This is why. Exactly. Because it's like a choose your, it's like a choose your own adventure book. Go to page 56. Now to do this, go to this page, this, go to this page. So I it, love those it takes books, a while. Amy. I know I did too. We all loved them. Like nobody's ever complained about a choose your own adventure book. Oh, fantastic. It was but so fun. They don't make them. Like, why aren't there more? There needs to be more. I don't know. I don't know. There, there really should be more of those. Maybe that should be my yep. resource of the week. Choose your own adventure books. Okay. okay. All right. Anyway, yes. we move on. Uh, some sad news, Amy. We have a couple of uh, sad news items here to finish out the week. Chinese Baptist leader Simon Tsui 
uh, passed away this week. He was uh, quite a force in the SBC over the past 20 to 30 years. Yes. Uh, so he was the second executive director of the Chinese Baptist Fellowship of the U.S. and Canada. So, I mean, that's a, a really big position. Um, he was a, he was one of the pastors who initiated the Youth Summer Mission Project in 1992, uh, which was known for, uh, really helping call a number of Chinese Baptist youths to missions and ministry, very involved in the Trans World Chinese Baptist Mission Conference, um, and just a, a lot of, lot of other things. He was senior pastor of the First Chinese Baptist Church in Phoenix from 1979 to 2001, uh, known for evangelism. He also was the first vice president of the SBC in 1994. He was a member of the Baptist Faith and Message Study Committee in 2000 and the Great Commission Resurgence Task Force in 2009. So this is uh, a man who was involved at so many different levels and a pastor who was really devoted and just respected by a lot of people. Yeah, I think he served on a couple of boards as well. He may have served on IMB as well as the executive committee. That didn't make it into the story, but I think that may be true. Don't don't hold me to that, yeah. though, because um, it's, like I said, not in the story. So. We do remember his family and our prayers and uh, his church. He was a, a member of a church out there in Phoenix, and they had a, uh, they're going to have a memorial service next year uh, when the pandemic is kind of over and they can do that. So it's probably fair to say that Simon was the most influential Chinese Southern Baptist of our lifetime. Yeah, probably so. Probably a fair, a fair shout right there. So. Um, yes, we uh, we will miss him and his contribution to Southern Baptist life. Some other sad news, Amy, down in Mississippi, the Rankin Baptist Association uh, just in the Jackson area announced this week that their associational mission strategist, Alan Stevens, passed away due to COVID-19. So uh, this is uh, just another loss that we have because of the pandemic. And, and this is kind of ties back to our first story. This is the reason we're not having a lot of these in-person meetings right now. It's because of uh, yeah. uh, instances yeah. like this and the possibilities of this happening. A big loss down there in Jackson, Mississippi uh, area, right that right outside in Brandon. So uh, thoughts and prayers out to the Stevens family. And then, Amy, some sad news on the minister wives front. Nancy Sullivan, right. who had kind of pioneered what we know as uh, the minister wives luncheon and the events around the SBC annual meetings, passed away yes. this week at age 80. Three. Yes. So Nancy Sullivan was the wife of John Sullivan, who uh, had been the executive director treasurer of the Florida Baptist Convention for many years. And a parliamentarian. Uh, retired. Yes. And a parliamentarian for years and years for the Southern Baptist Convention. So uh, John Sullivan is no stranger to anyone. Uh, but Nancy, like you said, was really respected as a pastor's wife. And then in 1992, she was president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Minister's Wives Conference. And uh, that really got to her because she realized that a lot of pastor's wives could not afford to attend it. So she established the Minister's Wives Endowment Fund and raised just tons and tons of money over the years uh, to help offset the cost so that so that no one would have to miss because they couldn't afford it. Uh, so it actually is named now the Nancy Sullivan Endowment Fund. And she's just uh, really has been honored by a number of Southern Baptist women through the years. So it's uh, a lot of people feel her absence 
greatly. Yes. And we, we talk about this every year when we talk about the annual meeting, how many events and how much there is for women at the Southern Baptist Convention. And yes. I would say that one of the main reasons for that was Nancy Sullivan. There's no doubt about that. Yes, absolutely. And and when we think about how that, the event she was involved in was really sort of this, the one central thing back then, but just she has inspired so many people and uh, she poured into people who then poured into people and more events have popped up and there are so many opportunities for women at the annual meeting now, um, in addition to just being a part of the meeting itself and, and so many other things. But she she had a real heart for this and uh, will be missed. So I never got to meet her, but have heard much about her through the years. So that's going to do it for our news this week and bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy? Blow our minds. All right. We're going to go back to 1964 when Baptist Press announced that the Home Mission Board in session at Ridgecrest named an executive secretary, Arthur Rutledge. He was from San Antonio. He oh, had art. been directing. Yeah. yeah no yeah, idea. Yeah. He honestly. had direct. Okay. Well, I know of him because he wrote a book about the Home Mission Board. He's, I mean, if I have to name a handful of of the executive directors or presidents, whatever, executive secretaries. He's one of the names I actually know. So there's there's a whole article that sort of talks about him, but also is kind of interesting to see, you know, how they to see how they selected him. They had a 12 member committee. Um, the chairman was from Carbondale, Illinois. They considered 40 suggested individuals and they interviewed several do they list the suggested interview or people individuals no they don't but don't you wonder those it's always fascinating to see that because some of the old ones they would release the list and release who they interviewed and all that it was a lot more open about that kind of stuff in the past than what we're used to today but he really you know this is in 1964 so um it's at a time Sorry, this is in 1964. He then died in 1977. He had had just retired. He had just retired the year before that. Really that year from like 65 to 75, which was kind of a, a time of, it was kind of a tumultuous time in the history of our country. He was there, you know, working. He also wrote, as I mentioned, he wrote a book. It was called Mission to America. A Century and a Quarter of Southern Baptist Home Missions. So published that in 1969, which I have not read the entire thing, but I have done some research in it. So um, so he was there kind of in that time where uh, around 125 years of, he, he wrote, sorry. So he was there to write that at the 125th anniversary of the Home Mission Board. Um, But his career as the executive secretary started this week in SBC history. Very cool. So, yeah, you lose me at Larry Lewis. That's that's where my names of knowing who was running what is now NAM. Yeah. That's where you lose me. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So I can go back that far, but before that. Right. No, Arthur Rutledge is one of the few names I can, like, remember. Okay. You know, so. Well, now I know it. Yep. So there you go. All right. Brings us to our resources of the week. Amy, my resource of the week is a new LifeWay research study. We're going to park here for just a minute. There was a a new study that came out this week about pastors and what they think of other pastors. So 
among Protestant pastors in the U.S. Here's the question. If a pastor commits adultery, how long should they withdraw from public ministry? And it's all over the map. Like there's no consistent answer because the biggest number is not sure. And that's 31%. So it's, there really wasn't, I mean, there's not a definitive look at this, but here we are. Right. Well, it's interesting. 2% said the pastor does not need to withdraw. That actually stuns me, even though 2% is well, really small. Protestant it makes me pastors, wonder why is that? Not just not Southern zero. Baptist pastors. I would I would hope that right, we'd be right. a little bit tighter on that. But Protestant pastors, yeah. so you don't know what all that includes, but right. gives us a little bit of room. But Yes, but 27% say withdraw permanently. And like you said, 31% say not sure. And then everything else was kind of varying. Now, that was sort of the one question that, that came out. This did break down along, uh, several different, several different lines. Um, and we'll have links to all of the research to show who's most likely to say withdraw permanently, least likely, you know, things like that. Um, But here is something interesting to kind of understand this study. Okay, so one of the reasons for them doing this study was to ask a question that they had asked four years ago. So this specific question was asked in a survey in 2016, which since we're going to share all these resources, we'll share that one as well. We've got links to that. The the survey in 2016 focused broadly on allegations of pastoral misconduct, asking what, how those things should be handled. Should the pastor step aside while the church investigates? Should the pastor stay in the pulpit? Things like that. So there are all of there. So they were studying that. And then they asked specifically about a pastor committing adultery. Um, They asked that in that 2016 survey. So this is kind of a moment to go back and say, all right, given a lot of the conversations that we've had over the last four years and some very public um, situations, has the needle moved on that? Has that changed at all? And it has changed a little bit. In 2016, 24% said a pastor committing adultery must permanently withdraw from public ministry. And in 2020, that was up to 27%. So that's kind of an interesting thing to see. One question that I know of some people who really were asking was about how this was phrased about the word adultery. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that, that's, that is certainly an issue because when you say adultery, that is a very specific definition. That word means something very specific. It means, um, intimate physical relationship with someone who is not your spouse. And so in this question, that didn't actually dig into if it is someone within the church. So that's, that's one thing is that, um, when this question is being asked, I know that they are writing to try to get to something that means something specific. If they turn around and say, um, if a pastor commits abuse, should they withdraw? Well, then, um, that that's a different it's a different type of question because there's a lot of types of abuse. We would hope that everyone would would say something like that if the pastor commits abuse. You know that that there would be a much higher than twenty seven percent. But 
the question is something very specific that didn't drill down because adultery, you know, could involve people outside the church. It could involve other other things. Now, I'll tell you a question I would like to see. What church members would think, how they would define, or pastors, how they would define that if there is a relationship with a member of the church, does that qualify? Do you define that as abuse? I would like to know how many people and that, uh, because I do. And so that would be, be something very interesting. But that it was helpful to me to understand that this is a repeat of a question from four years ago that they asked in the very same way to see how it moved. Um, and it will be interesting to see as language changes, things like that, how, how that might help in thinking about questions in the future or things that we would like to know. One other thing I noticed about this, this was a survey of pastors And so in one sense, it is asking about sort of a spiritual, theological, doctrinal issue, but it also is pastors are weighing in on themselves here. And I think that's noteworthy when we're looking at, I'm not actually making an assessment in any way at all. I think that's just something that's interesting. And I wonder how people in the pew would answer this question. Yes. Well, and it, it's it's interesting too because there's a lot of factors that play into this because I would say that if it's something that you know we, we see this a lot of times with pastors spawning from counseling cases or something like that. So if you're a, if you're just a regular counselor and you have a, a relationship with a client or patient, you lose your counseling license like for good. You're done. Right. That is but, that is understood to be a breach of yeah, ethics. Yeah. And. In some in some instances, in some cases, we've seen it also become criminal here in the U.S. for pastors in that situation too. But then you look at this, so right. there's just so many different factors. It's, it's this question is is helpful, but at the same time, it opens up a lot of other questions. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, it does because it does say, okay, well, is you know, it just stops at commits adultery. What does that mean? And then, like you just said, where do you start to say the ethics in? If it is a member of the congregation, what, so if you were to nuance that, if you were to give that, if you were to have that as a second question, wonder what the number would be. Yeah. How does if it, it change? Is it, if it's with someone in the church, do you think that that's abuse or do you think they should withdraw from public ministry permanently? Just to, yes. it's, it's, yes. Yeah. It's just very interesting. <laughs> and then, like I said, it's hard because yes, you do, you are asking the pastors who are supposed to be sort of the spiritual leader. You're asking them what they think about ministry qualifications, ministry calling. And so, yeah, it is, it does matter to know what the pastors think about that. It's also very telling because, like I said, they're answering questions about themselves mm-hmm. and about their peers. So, you know yeah, what it's also important is, to know? What the Bible thinks about what? it. Yes. So, it's pretty clear. Okay. That'll do it for that resource. Moving on to your resource of the week, Amy, and it is? There's a new Christmas album coming out. There is. It's going to release in October, and it's Dolly Parton. And I saw it this week, and I got really excited because I need a good Christmas album this year after there everything in 2020. There was a good Christmas album last year. The new Behold the Lamb of God Dove Award nominated. It's an amazing. It's amazing. But I need a new. I need one this year. I need okay. a new one. All right. To add, and I am very excited. Now I don't know that I'll listen to it in October because I'm one of those who hey, lets. I will let anyone listen we've been when they this want. Year, I'm, Maybe all we should. Better off on when you can listen to Christmas. Maybe music, we should. All right. 
You yeah, can listen to so Crystal Juice right now in the middle of August. I think everyone is free to listen whenever they want. I may wait till November. We'll see. But I'm pretty pumped. Maybe I'll give it one listen when it drops and then save it. But I saw that it dropped this week. I'm excited. So I, I shared that on Twitter, but I had to share it here. All right. We're good. So I don't have a link for it. I guess we can link to the story. There's a story about it. Yeah, but I'll find it'll something. Come out in I'll find something. Everybody, about everybody it. get ready. Yes. Everybody what's the name ready. of the uh, What's the name of the album? A very dolly I don't Christmas. Think she, a holly dolly. I Christmas. think she ah, said it might be, be a great. holly dolly Christmas. Yeah, that would I think be she's thinking about that. She's thinking about that. But um, but it 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 was a good announcement, and she, it's going to be duets with a lot of people. Michael Bublé, I think, uh, and some others. Willie Nelson, maybe. So really? it'll be good. Huh. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Dolly's had a pretty big year. You know, the the podcast kind of late last year bled over into this right. year. Dolly you Pines know, America. She's, yep. She's had yeah. a pretty big one. That was a pretty good podcast too, by the way. Um, it was a fascinating yes. look at Dolly Parton. A lot of things I didn't know. Learned a lot of things. So yeah. All right, that's going to do it for our show this week. Just another reminder, since we're talking about music. Oh, by the way, are you going to get that on vinyl? Are you going to go with the, just the, you know, put it on oh, your phone? Oh, I kind might. Of thing? If they have a vinyl, I may have to do that. Christmas music feels like it needs to be played on vinyl. Is that fair? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't have a ton of vinyl Christmas albums. I think I have maybe about four. Oh. I've got an Amy Grant, Nat King Cole, Behold the Lamb, Charlie Brown. I think hey, that's about it. That's a pretty so, good little set right there, by the way. It is. It is. That's hard but, uh, to beat. Okay. Yeah. But I, I'll, I'll have to throw in um, Dolly Parton. All right. If, well, if it, check out Dolly's music. Check out Chris Renzema again. Congrats to him on the Dev Awards. Congrats to me for being right about that. We'll see you next week. See you next week.